Welcome to the Anti-MLM Podcast, where two best friends explore the world of multi-level marketing companies. I'm Emma Rose. And I'm Francine Brown. Join us as we try to figure this shit out. It is seriously bananas. For real. Hello. Hello. Hey. How's it going? Oh my gosh, I can't, my document, oh my gosh. Is is it giving you grief again? It's gone. I found it. It was recovered. But I, I literally had it up on my screen and I just closed the laptop and it closed Word and it doesn't usually do that, you know? Usually when you yeah. close your laptop, you just pull it, open it up and it's all here. Like you never even left. Yeah. For sure. All of my tabs that I had too. I had tabs for every, all of my sources. That's oh. all done. Maybe that will come back up when you open up the internet or something. Oh, I already did it. They're gone. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, Welcome to the Technical HP. Difficulty Podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Are you ready? I'm, yeah, I'm ready. I was, I just pulled up the article, a new article about my dishonorable mention. Should we do those first? Mm-hmm. So I found this article from our friend, Dave Vaughn, and he posted this on his Twitter and I thought it was really interesting. So I, we've talked about um, sister wives and how one of them, one of the uh, wives sells LuLaRoe. Yeah. And apparently on the show, her and her husband um Cody are not really they don't have a romantic relationship anymore according to the plot line of the reality show but on a recent LuLaRoe live sale she was live and he came in and had her sign some documents and they had some banter that seemed familiar and so Then at the end of the conversation, he brought up, or like they kind of brought up how they had been using CBD products and people were kind of surprised because they're openly traditionalist Mormon. And so they're like, oh, you guys can use CBD. So they're like, yep, and we love it. So now people on Reddit and fans of the show are speculating whether or not they're going to start selling CBD products. And the whole appearance of Cody on her live was like a, just a plot to get CBD brought up naturally somehow. (laughs) So, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I'm curious to see what happens and I'm not, I haven't ever watched the show, but you know, there's a lot of chatter going on about how they might, the the storyline of them not having a romantic relationship might be fake because they seemed very familiar in their interactions. But well, is it his be... first wife that is the, the yeah, she's the one? one. I think it said they'd been married for like thirty years, like a very long time. Yeah, yeah. So that I just thought that that was an interesting story that was just very currently happening. Ooh, I wonder if he's gonna go with our our bro that sells the. The CBD that oh, we yeah. talked about. And, and the, that's the lifestyle right there. <laughs> yeah. 
that would be a really odd um Combination. Yeah. <laughs> Combination. Yeah, for real. So what's your dishonorable mention? Mine kind of has to do with my um topic for the day. Oh cool. So I was I looked up the hashtag um for the company that I looked into, Neora. And I just wanted to see, you know, if Part of my story that I'm going to discuss today is about an, a lawsuit that they got into. So I just wanted to see if they had any of the things that they were getting sued for on their Instagram or on anybody's Instagram. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, they did. <laughs> um, but one of the posts I found really sad, and especially what comes after it, and I wanted to read it. And so my anonymous mention is this post, or I guess this this time of events that occurred on on my Instagram hashtag search. Mm-hmm. So it's a picture of a lady and her son next to Alexis. And then the the caption is, well, here she is. Four years ago, I saw my friend earn Alexis from her side gig. I was a customer at the time buying the products because they really are amazing. Somewhere in my mind, I asked the question, what if I could earn a car? Naturally, my love of Neora grew, so I took the chance on the business side. I can honestly say it's been the biggest blessing to this single mom. The burdens on my shoulders have been lifted tremendously. The belief in myself has grown immensely, and I'm able to give a better life to my son, one where I'm more present and no longer a slave to my work. My view on life gets more beautiful every day, thanks to an opportunity that crossed my path and my gut feeling that told me to take a chance on it. I get to travel, make friends from all over the world, and wake up every day knowing my future is secure, even as a single parent. And then she goes on to thank everybody in the company and everybody that, you know, gave her the opportunity. And then she says, if you have a gut feeling, please just ask. You never know. This may be your opportunity crossing your path. Hmm. Um. And I was like, so part of the, part of the discussion of what I'll get into later is like one of the lawsuits that happened was because of making claims like this. So, um, that was like the first, the post and then the <laughs> direct post underneath it was like FTC sues multi-level marketer Neora, formerly known as Miriam, alleging it operates as an illegal pyramid scheme. <laughs> So I was like, oh, no, like right in a row. She's like saying how, you know, it can happen for everyone and her friend recruited her. And then the next post underneath there is like, this company just got sued. And she was also claiming that, you know, she has financial freedom and she's set for life kind of thing. So sad. Yeah, that that was one of the things that got me when you sent it to me and I read it was the financial freedom and waking up every day not having to worry about her future and I was like no <laughs> the company's getting sued for being a pyramid scheme that is like immediate danger to your future yeah no 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 and you just got this, and you got this Lexus now that you have a lease on because we all know that those aren't free cars and you usually have to oh yeah that was one of the lease. hashtags was hashtag free car hashtag company car uh, hashtag entrepreneur like all the hashtags were uh, kind of sad 
yeah, it's super sad. Well, I hope that <laughs> I hope that everything works out for that person. Yeah, especially for her son cuz her son's in the picture too, so, you know. Oh, yeah. But stupid company, yeah, yeah. stupid 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 company. Yeah. Ugh, it's it sucks because we we want these companies to not exist anymore but there's gonna be so much fallout if that were to ever happen right (laughs) you know like it would it's just gonna cause such a major shift in things it's gonna be really hard yeah if that ever happens you know and because we want everyone involved we're not wishing harm on them we realize that it's gonna be difficult without your income but there's so many ways to make so much more money than you're making and but also people i mean don't really make that income unless that's what i'm at the top of the pyramid so she'll be all right (laughs) i think (laughs) she's gonna make it it's it's just a matter of teaching people that or like getting people to understand that they're worth more than what these companies are offering yeah you know because people think that their mlms is a solution to everything it's like thinking that getting married is going to fix all your relationship problems (laughs) you know like yeah (laughs) it's just not the answer Mm -hmm. and so if if these companies could be stopped and all of a sudden they didn't have that option, maybe they would actually start to work on their problems. Yeah. You know, and have to figure shit out like like I'm having to do right now. Like all of all of the consequences of all of my actions are finally catching up to me. Mm-hmm. And it sucks, but I'm getting better for it, you yeah. know? Yeah. So yeah. Well, yeah. Do you want to, um, that's, I think that was my only unhonorable mention. Yeah, that was my. Oh, well, we did want to, we have a new segment <laughs> called the unethical shit that LuLaRoe did this week. Yeah. Because they seem to be a recurring theme. Mm-hmm. So. This one tops the last they, one though, I will say. Well, I, I did find where to report them and I reported them because this is illegal. So I got an email last week from LuLaRoe that said, we're selling face masks. And I was like, oh God, what is this going to be? And I was imagining face masks that they had made or some sort of, you know, LuLaRoe branded product. And they made very clear to state that these are not surgical masks or any thing that is necessary you know these are cloth masks made specifically for the public whatever so i scroll down and they look exactly like the medical masks that are being sold and they're offering a box of 50 for 36 dollars and they're saying there's a limit of two boxes but you have to place a 15 piece wholesale order and your boxes of masks do not count as an item And after 
four hours, if we're not sold out of masks, we're going to lift the restrictions. But within the first four hours, you can place as many 15-piece orders as you want and add two orders of masks to each of those orders. So they're requiring the sale of a product to get personal protective equipment during a pandemic, which is illegal. So I reported them. Right. Yeah. So that was just I'm like how tacky be to be like you can buy these masks, but you have to place a fifteen item order before you can purchase these. Like we're not like as a company like hey we found these masks and are like gonna give them out. And we can, <laughs> yeah, we could send them out to our retailers to support you and your communities in this difficult time because we're a billion dollar company. But instead, we're going to require you to purchase at least probably $200 worth of our product and then charge you what I found to be retail prices for the masks. They're not even wholesale prices on the mask. They're retail prices because I Google searched these masks and immediately found a different website selling them in stock for $39. So a $3 difference. Wow. Yeah. So LuLaRoe retailers just Google search the mask and buy it from a different company without having to order inventory. It's ridiculous. What also, like, why can't they use fabric that they have in their warehouse to, to make some? So LuLaRoe's products are mostly pretty bad, like polyester spandex mix. So, but I was thinking they would at least maybe get some cotton and make some masks like a lot of companies are doing, yeah. which at least would have been better, maybe, instead of just profiting purely off of some cheap masks that they found somewhere. It's just. Yeah. And when I saw them, I thought they were medical masks. I was like, wow, they're, they're even like taking these from the front lines why do they have these why are they selling them but i guess you said they're not medical masks they just look very similar so yeah well lularo said it in their email so <laughs> it must be true yeah questionable yes i'm gonna question that we have a new format that we're gonna try out mm-hmm. so we're each gonna bring a story each week and because we kind of realized that after doing a few deep dives, they're all kind of the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's going to get repetitive. It probably already has been a little repetitive. So we're going to try and switch it up and bring just some general knowledge about MLMs and different things that we want to bring up each week. What is your story about this? Week, oh, yeah. I've been super interested in lawsuits. I want to know what companies are getting sued and why. So I went down a little um, lawsuit research project. So I found a company that got sued uh, in 2019 called Miriam. So they were sued by the FTC. Um, and Miriam, have you heard of Miriam? Have no, you heard never. Of Miura? No, I haven't. Okay, heard so of that Miriam one changed their name to Neora. 
They were originally founded in 2011 under the name Miriam, which was an ingredient in one of their products. They are um, a facial skin product company. So this was the company that I mentioned in the dishonorable mentions. So they, they had a name change that took place in February, 2019, but the lawsuit was um, filed in November. So I don't think that the name change happened because of the lawsuit, but the whole thing kind of is a little interesting and fishy and weird. Um, and from their website, you can tell that they've been sued because they really try to bring some of the, the points home in the lawsuit that they are not doing what is being said they're doing, I guess, in a way. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. Of course. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the company and then we can go into the lawsuit. And um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. So as I said, Miriam was founded in 2011 based off of an ingredient. Um, they changed their name to Neora, and the reason why they wanted to change their name, because they wanted the name Neora to be symbolism of their new aura or their new energy and represent a more comprehensive direction the company is taking in its product offerings and global expansion. And then according to their director, he said the name, the new name Neora better describes what we are as a company now and where we expect to go in the next several years. We have evolved into a company that has much more than one ingredient. Wow. He also said that um, they're taking the experience they've gained in the previous seven years and hitting the reset button and creating something even better. Yeah. Of course. Because that's how the world works. You could just hit a reset button and all the shit you've done (laughs) is just erased. Uh, I wish. Right. Yeah, so they're just going to rebrand, try again. Everybody's super excited. All the consultants are really excited for this rebrand and this new name and everything. The logo is still the same, I guess. It's like a little lock with an N on it. So they kept that, but new name. A skincare company, as I mentioned before, and they seem to focus on anti-aging, but they also have hair products and other things as well. Um, And a lot of their products have... A lot of the buzzwords, holistic, proprietary formula, non-toxic, that kind of thing. Have So one of the things that got them in trouble was health claims. And on the first page of their website, there's a bunch of health claims already listed. Um, their products promote overall brain health. They help support immune function. They naturally increase energy, help reduce time to fall asleep helps for optimal function, maintenance, and repair of your body. And then there's this little tiny asterisk that says, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Right. But then, if you scroll down, there's another little statement about their anti-aging products. And they say, our rigorously tested products deliver proven age-defying results powered by the most advanced ingredients available. We work with some of the top-tier universities, researchers, and internationally recognized biotechnology labs to bring you scientifically derived, one-of-a-kind skincare. And all of their ingredients are patent, 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 that's a hard word to say, patent, patent, patent. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, so yeah, so they're you know they're still making these claims. They really believe strongly that their products do a lot of things, and so I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. They're super into trying to sell these products that they think do all these amazing things that they're getting sued right, yeah. for doing. Um, not good. So they have, it's what it's, it's wild. It just, I think that that just proves how out of touch with reality these people must oh, be. Yeah, right? it gets, like, yeah, it gets way better too. Yeah. Oh boy. <sighs> so they have the same type of thing where you buy and you could buy a basic kit to become one of their, they call their distributors brand partners. So, you know, you buy in, they have four different buy-in options. And so the basic kit is $49.95. And that, the only thing you get is like their marketing and training materials, no products. And then you can also, they have a $500 (laughs) package, a $750 package, or the premier buy-in package, which is $1,000. And the only difference between each three of these tiers is you get products to go with it. So either products for you to use yourself or products that you can resell at a markup and make some of that money back. But I'm sure that so many people are like, just buy the biggest package so you could try all the products yourself because you're the best testimonial. And they even put like the retail value. So it'll say like, for the premier $1,000 one, it's like retail value is $1,800. So you're technically saving $800 if you buy the $1,000 premier builder pack start-in fee. Right. Or you could convince someone that they could sell it for $1,800 and <laughs> right, make $800 there you go. If, they're, if they're focused on not – if they're focused on selling and not using right, the yeah. product. But – but that's not the way it works. I mean, you're definitely told to use the product because because stories are what sell. MLMs know that anecdotal evidence and strong personal testimonies are what will sell products. So that's what they're trying to get you to right. become. And you're already a consumer of a- their product by just becoming a brand partner. Right. So now you're consuming the product and you're giving away your identity and assuming the identity of a brand partner where you're the whole point of your existence is to mm. promote the product. I mean, that's what happened to, to me and LuLaRoe. So I could just assume yeah. it's the same. So more digging on their website, I found their company handbook. So this handbook is basically a a statement put out by the company in the form of a handbook to tell you why they should not be getting sued. Like, it covers every little part of this lawsuit. It starts off with the first paragraph is the company honors all federal, state, and local regulations governing network marketing and requires every brand partner to do the same. That's like the first. <laughs> oh my! God. I I like jaws on the floor because 
they basically they wrote they a pamphlet that's pamphlet. like look at how good we are this isn't what we give out to our employees it's on our website so you, this you can't sue us like look at all this information they have about being honest compliant to the <laughs> ethics of you know this whole situation so this is kind of funny this was pretty interesting and it's very contradictory and so hilarious in some aspects so I picked through wow. it and picked out like my favorite little statements that they make in this pamphlet. Okay, first cool. one being no purchase required, except as set forth above, no purchase is required to become a brand partner. So the little statement above the exception is the above statement is, is the applicant purchases at company cost a brand par- partner launch kit, which contains brand partner forms, company information brochures. And materials, in parentheses, not for resale, but can you sell them? Who knows? The sum is not a service or franchise fee, but rather strictly to offset costs incurred by the company for educational and business materials. So there's not a purchase required except for the, you know, purchase that you have to to become a brand partner, (laughs) as well as, also mentioning later in the pamphlet, a yearly renewal fee. A brand partner authorizes companies to automatically or authorizes the company to automatically renew their brand partner status annually. The annual renewal fee is posted in the online business center, which I don't have the ability to get to because I'm not a brand partner. So I don't know what the what the yearly fee is, but you also have to have that fee. You also have to pay that fee yearly. Um, so right there, that's, you know. You no purchase required except for, you know, the purchase that you have to require. Um, they also talk about, I think I'll cover it, but they also talk about um, some purchases may be necessary to advance in the compensation plan. So that's another mm. part where they say there's no purchase required, but also you probably might need to purchase product to advance in the company. Just saying. <laughs> right. If you want to earn the bonuses that we offer, you must purchase. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're a pyramid so scheme. That hi. was like my favorite one that I saw. Um, they also say, you know, brand partners shall not guarantee, estimate compensation, draw expenses or deductions attributable, attributable to business or to prospects, brand partners shall truthfully and fairly describe the present and the present comp- and present the compensation plan. So no past potential or actual income claims may be made to prospective brand partners. So you're not even allowed to talk about your income, not even what you made last year, what you're planning on making, what you actually make. They just say, just don't claim anything about your income. But you can put a picture which, of your which uh, Mercedes and say, I have financial freedom. Yeah. No medical claims. That's another one. But like their Mercedes. first page of their website was probably about 15 medical claims. But they're not proven by the FDA. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> so. <laughs> this is an interesting one, too. Uh, this is like, oh, no, that's my favorite. Brand partners may not answer the telephone by saying Miora 
or in any other manner that would lead the caller to believe that the call has reached the corporate offices of the company. Interesting. What is that about? I wonder what happened. Yeah. What happened that that rule had know, to be made? That, that was not covered in the lawsuit. So I was like, hmm, I wonder what. You just can't. Hmm. It's like Herbalife where you can sell Herbalife products in your shop, but you can't name the business Herbalife or it could be called like Nutrition Fun or something, oh. you know, but I can't actually. <laughs> you know what I bet? You know what I bet happened? <laughs> one of the, one of the brand partners probably had like a pissed off customer and they like were like oh here's the number to corporate and just gave them like a different brand partner like oh their gosh. uplines number and then they were like Neora how can I help you <laughs> yikes yeah I don't know why uh just kidding my my imagination does weird yeah. things sometimes but you know yeah it's like, that, you know that, something that happened. rule was made by some Karen somewhere <laughs> um, there's another one the, oh I found another thing that's what I was saying I was going to cover the purchase requirement again so then there's another one that says purchase requirement <laughs> no product purchase is required in order for an applicant to become a brand partner but you just said that you have to buy the package so they, they're saying it again like it's mentioned twice that yeah. there's no purchase required but this one says there's no oh purchase card, but earlier, the first in the first set of rules, because it's like broken down into different categories. So this comes up again in another category because yeah. it talks it's about just, like moving up. It's just weird. So it says yeah. no product purchases required in order for an applicant to become a brand partner. Although purchases or sales of products may be required in order to advance in the compensation plan. So... That's kind of like, well, you do have to, you, you might have to purchase products, but we already talked about that. So I don't know. They should just like figure that one out because it's like not really. Yeah. Why, why do they keep saying Because that? that's I why just, they're getting sued. It's so weird. Because <laughs> that makes them liable to be a pyramid scheme. Oh, right, right, right. So they're just. The, it, oh, I get it. It's repetitive. When you repeat something over and over again to the masses, you can get them to Yeesh. believe it. So they're probably just like repetition, yeah, just really throwing it out there, know. hoping it sticks. Um, then they have a couple rules that have to do with purchasing and stuff, because obviously that's part of the problem. So you can't stockpile. <laughs> uh. You also, of course, is, I don't know how this works, but you have to certify on the product order form that the brand partner has sold to non-brand partner consumers or used at least 70% of all products previously purchased. So you can't have a stockpile. You can't just, according to them, keep pro- purchasing products if you're not selling them to non-brand people, non-brand partners. Or you or using 70% right. of them. But is that just like a box you check? Like, yeah, sure. I didn't, this is, you know, like, how do you certify it? Yeah, they must just, there's no way to. That's, I think, one of the problems with all of this is that the record history with MLMs in regards to all of these things that people have questions about are just 
conveniently yeah and it's a way for them gay. to protect themselves like hey they're lying our distributors are lying because we put on there they have to certify that they're buying this product for customers and not to rank up and they said that they weren't so obviously they're not you know it's like a way for them like a check Right. It's just like, well, we, they're independent contractors, so we don't have any control over what they do, except for we have to control everything they do with all these rules. You also have to sell, um, to at least five retail customers per month. So if, if, oh, wow. If Tina wants to to buy a thousand dollars worth of product, I don't think it works like that. I think you actually have to have five retail customers. Yeah. And another odd one, it was just kind of funny. Brand partners may only use before and after photos provided by the company. So you can't have your own mm. products or you can't have your own before and after pro- product or photos. You mean I can't wear a pair of super tight <laughs> yoga pants high up on my waist, take a super cute picture, <laughs> and then lower the band and like all my fat hang out and then take a picture two seconds later and use that as my before picture. Nope. I can't do that. Before and after. And you know what's interesting ah. is they have a lot of celebrity ones. Like if you Google their name, they have a lot of like athletes and uh Kaylee Cuoco. You know her? Big Bang Theory? No. She is oh. she has um before and after pictures. She's one of the big ones. Everyone loves to name drop her in this company. Oh, that's sad. But she's like, I don't exactly know what she's using, but if it's the anti-aging serum, like, she looks good, honey. Like, you're young. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, let's talk about the lawsuit. So, the lawsuit against Nerium International now rebranded to Neora. The complaint was filed in the United States District Court, District of New Jersey, on November 1st, 2019. There's five different counts. The first one was illegal pyramid. Count number two was false earnings. Count number three was false or or unsubstantiated efficacy claims. Count four was false establishment claims. And count five was means and instrumentalities. So the case, it was against um, Miriam International and Jeff Olson, the owner. Um, so I, a lot of the stuff I was interested in was like the pyramid scheme part of it. Because on the FTC website, it's their, their distinction between MLM and pyramid scheme is like very gray and it's almost like, yeah, that's the same thing. They're like, a pyramid scheme, things to look out for are this, this, and this, but that's also, like, what MLMs are known for. So, right. I don't know. I, I was really trying, I'm trying to get to the bottom of, like, what an actual pyramid scheme is and what the laws say about it. I don't know if you have any other luck with that. Well, I I might actually have an answer for you in my story today, so we'll put a little pin in that. Okay, cool. So So basically what they're saying is Mm -hmm. the Miriam operated as an illegal pyramid scheme. 
Unlike a legitimate multi-level marketing business, Miriam's compensation scheme emphasizes recruiting new brand partners over the sale of products to consumers outside of the organization. Miriam's business model makes it unlikely that brand partners can earn money by selling product to outside consumers in response to genuine demand. Purchased by brand partners and fees paid by brand par- partners have accounted for more than half of the com- of all companies' revenues. Wow. And in 2019, I found a report that they made $500 million. So if more than half of that account was accounted for by fees paid by their brand partners and purchases by their brand partners, that's not not good. Yeah, that's a huge yeah. amount and of money. And it says less than 5% of BP's brand partners in the United States earn more from Nerium, or less than 5% of BP's in the United States earn more from Nerium than pay in fees and product purchases. So only 5% of the company was making more than the fees they are paying into it. Oh, 92% of Nerium's BPs have quit, with half leaving the company within six months or less. Wow. Yeah. Did it say how many? Um, I found it there on were their website, any- on, the, on Miura's actual website. According to now, uh, they have 40,000 active U.S. brand partners, or 39,985. Wow, that's yeah. like I a mean, lot. Yeah, I mean, 40,000 people. It's not as much as, like, Mary Kay or whatever. Those are, it's like 200,000, but. Um, yeah, but it's almost, it's almost double what LuLaRoe okay. has right now. Yeah, I heard on a recent home office call that there is around 18,000 active LuLaRoe consultants oh. right now, which I thought was really interesting because I don't know if they've thrown that number out recently but yeah that's i would i was just surprised that i hadn't heard of them considering compared to lularoe that's like a pretty big number you know i wonder where they're yeah well maybe are. well it's the anti-aging and a lot of their supplements have to do with like brain function so they go for a lot of athletes that have had concussions and things like that or it seems like an older crowd, too, because oh, that's a lot of their sad. products, they claim, like, make Alzheimer's-related impairments. Um, they, you know, help with dementia and, like, aging. So it seems like for someone like us, you oh. know, we are not going to be super interested in, like, yeah, might not be. brain function and all that at this point in our lives. But my mom actually had heard of them, and she knew somebody who was a consultant. Oh, wow. So. Oh, wow. That kind of even makes it more sad because Alzheimer's and those types of diseases are so serious and they're such a sad disease to have to, you know, mm-hmm. bear witness to. And so to have this company making these claims is actually mm-hmm. really gut-wrenching. Yeah. Oh, I actually man. have a quote from one of their consultants about that exact thing. Ugh. So that was obviously one of their things that they... Um, made a lot of claims about um, one of them it says false claims they have a brain supplement um, and it said one of the one of the con- 
I want to call them consultants, and it's like hard for me to say brand. Like, <laughs> you're, I don't know. This is like a new, they have like yeah, different terminology because they want them to be brand partners. Yeah, it's all, it's all yeah. the same. Whatever. Uh, she said, brain supplement EHT now being shown to help with Alzheimer, Alzheimer's related impairments. Yes, really. Why aren't you taking it again? That was her little quote she had. So they had a lot of, in the actual um, court papers, they had a lot of examples of them selling this product to people that have had brain injuries in sports or claiming things like, it's shown to help with Alzheimer's-related impairments. They say it over and over again. They had so many claims and examples of this, kind of like how we saw in the FTC letters. But in the the actual court documents that were submitted, I was looking at all of them, and I'm just like, ugh, why, you know? Yeah, And the, so the people that sell these products they're not signed. They're just trusting their company, right? They're like, the company is putting out, I mean, if you go on their website, their company claims that, that their stuff is proven and blah, blah, blah. So their company's like, look at it. We have this product. You should sell it. It's known to help. It's shown to help Alzheimer's related impairments. And so they're just running with it because they believe in their product. Yeah. Because yep. And people just don't believe that a company would lie to them when that's like just literally the basis of how it all works like people just believe that those in power wouldn't lie because that is a a bad thing and people don't want to come to terms with the fact that they're being exploited because that sucks but it's and they really know how to market happening. themselves. It's like, like their website is really pretty. It's like soothing colors. Everybody looks super vibrant and healthy. This is all done on purpose, and it's all a scheme, you know? Right. It's just selling people mm-hmm. things that they don't need so that they can maybe one day be some ideal version of themselves when really they are already perfect or perfectly Mm -hmm. imperfect you know it's just so frustrating on that note so i was like Mm. i wonder if they responded you know sometimes companies will try to hit the ground running when things happen or they try to post something on their website, like, we got sued, but don't worry, it's not real. They what, you know, they kind of, like, do damage control a little bit. Yeah, they have, well, they have to respond because they have to set their narrative. So they have to give everyone who's following them what to say to counteract. And counteract they did. What? So. Oh, boy. They actually sued back. The and so this is what was interesting to me. I don't know if this is how it works, but the lawsuit from the FTC against Miriam went in, was it says filed November 1st, 2019. Then in that, that was in New Jersey, in the state of Illinois, Miriam put, uh, filed their 
uh, lawsuit against the FTC the same exact day. Yeah. Wow. That is a Yeah, so I almost was like, I kept trying to figure, I'm like, is this real? Like, am I looking at the same papers? Like, I don't understand how how that's possible. But I know people counter sue, so maybe, you know. But that's why I think this whole thing is kind of like, maybe they were being investigated or they knew or something because they changed their name that year and then they got sued that year and then they were able to, so I feel like there's more that I'm not seeing. I was trying to find like the exact date they changed their name and I found like reports from other websites and stuff and I found the day that he quoted the name change, like all the stuff that I read in the beginning and it was all around the same time when all these reports came out. And that was in February, so the lawsuit was in November of the same year. So if they're getting investigated, then they tried to change their whole marketing and everything, and then they the lawsuit finally went through, and then they filed the same day. It all, you know, it just kind of adding up funny. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. So in February of 2019 is when the news of the name change came out. Yeah, I mean, if you know that you're being investigated and you know you're going to have to change the structure of your company because you're a pyramid scheme, 100% you would change your brand because you need to distance your old brand. Once the news comes out about Miriam being sued, they already have a new brand so that when people hear of Miora they can Google that and the stuff about Miriam hopefully won't come up at least for a little bit. Yeah. Or something. It doesn't you know what I mean? Miura, it comes up with Miriam. So that does work. Like when you Google both of their names, if you Google Miriam, the FTC thing comes up, but if you Google Niora, their, their stuff comes up. Yeah. That, well, looks like they did yeah. what they intended to do. My neighbors are setting up. Freaking fireworks. But yeah, it's the weird... No, I didn't hear it. Did you hear it? Oh my gosh, it was so loud. I like... I jumped. But yeah, I don't know. The name change did happen according to what I found before these lawsuits got filed with the courts. So, yeah, I'm just going to read one... um, One little snippet from from the lawsuit. I don't want to go too deep into that lawsuit because his thing is is not they're suing it goes it's kind of like you know kind of chilling but it goes they want to change the laws on how mlms are considered pyramid schemes so he's kind of like trying to do both at the same time counter sue and also make it change that but um it says plaintiff jeff olson launched uh, Miriam in 2011 with a compensation plan and business structure designed to comply with state laws, which have, be, which have been preempted by federal law, federal law and courts decisions. He could not have known that in 2018 and 2019, defendant FTC would decide to improperly reinterpret the law on pyramid schemes without proper legislation, legislation or rulemaking and instead utilize the enormous pressure of its so-called fencing-in strategy in an attempt to unilaterally and retroactively change the definition of pyramid scheme under the FTC Act. So he's claiming that they've been following the laws 
up until this point, but in 2018, they just decided to reinterpret the laws so that they could go after them. And they're trying to change the whole idea of what a pyramid scheme is and the definition of pyramid scheme. And that's why they're getting targeted. Right. But um, in the beginning of the court documents, it literally has the, the code the law code exactly what they're talking about and it lists the law that they broke and i mean and is it pretty straightforward pretty like i said the the pyramid the whole pyramid scheme is kind of like uh you know but yeah (laughs) there's an actual code of law that you broke and you could say like well now before i was following it but now, now they're just like reinterpreting it to mean something different it's like okay sure but, I mean, then yeah. he comes out with a statement Great. that contradicts that. So, oh, this guy. He says, Miura has complied with all laws and the FTC's most recent 2018 business guidance regarding direct sales business models and is in no way a pyramid scheme. But in his lawsuit, he's saying, how could we have known that in 2018 it was going to be different? But in, on his website, he's saying, no, we've complied all the way up. So what is it? Did you not know that it was going to be interpreted that way? Right. And 2018 is different? Or have you been following it since 2018? Like, you know. And then right. um, he also says, the FTC has launched an unfounded attack on the direct selling industry in which they're trying to change the way direct sales companies can operate without going through the proper legislative process or formal rulemaking. But they're citing laws in the court papers that it's not, these are, I I mean, the laws are formal rules that you have to follow and you're not being compliant, they're saying. So, you know. Right. (laughs) It's not an unfounded attack. It's, hey, we (laughs) we investigated and these are the laws you broke. Count one, two, three, four, and five. (laughs) And... Yeah, and these are Here's the proof. direct quotes from your people about incomes and health claims, but now you're saying, like, you're not, you're just attacking us, and you're not even using the legislative process. Like, you are in the definition of the legislative process. Right, they're just throwing out lies. He also says, sticks. direct sales companies are legal under every state and federal law. Not to mention the direct sales industry plays a significant role in the American economy, contributing more than $35.4 billion in U.S. retail sales in 2018 alone. Two things about that. First of all, direct sales companies are legal under every state and federal law, but not pyramid schemes. So they're claiming you are acting as a pyramid scheme. And also, just because something makes a lot of money doesn't make it ethical. Illegal drug industry is an example. (laughs) Scams make money. Illegal drug industry in this country is, it's hard to really get figures, but according to Rand.org, it's a $100 billion industry. Does that make it right? Just because it puts up a lot of money and people make money off of it, it doesn't make it acceptable or right. He also says, Neora's brand partners do not need to make any personal purchases aside from the initial $49 enrollment kit in order to qualify for commissions. But what about the annual fees that you post in your little pamphlet? What about the <laughs> <And> what about <laughs> the required purchases Again, to advance in rank? What about 
you know, you have to spend, according to the FTC, they say they have an example, they have a breakdown in the lawsuit about the required purchases. They say that according to FTC, it says you have to spend $80 to remain eligible for compensation. Or you can have um, people, so you can spend $80 of your own money. You can have um, customers spend 120 on auto delivery products, or you can sell $250 of product to just regular customers. Wow, that sounds like a yeah. super high markup. And it even says in their whole pamphlet, you may have to purchase products to make sales and to make commission. So, yeah, that's about just it. But I'll just leave you with this last little tidbit quote by owner Jeffrey Olson. We are an American small business and we'll take this David and a Goliath-like issue and fight for the rights of men and women who deserve a place in our American economy and will not be bullied into settling for anything less. No, <laughs> but it's not bully. an American small business. That's Bad so bully. mean to the American small businesses that are actually struggling really, really hard and not taking advantage of other people. You have a $500, $500 million yep. company that has 40,000 employees that you don't actually employ or pay that work and that pay you. So, yeah. I mean, the delusion yeah. is strong with this one. <laughs> wow. Well, that was really <laughs> so yeah, that's one lawsuit. Thank you for sharing that with us. I like that because it was yeah. current, too. It's still happening. We can, yeah. you know, follow along. <laughs> that's fun. My story today is going to be on a research paper that is a historical analysis of multi-level marketing companies. It's called Multi-Level Marketing and Pyramid Schemes in the United States and a historical and historical analysis. And it's by William W. Keep from the School of Business, the College of New Jersey, in New Jersey, USA, and then Peter J. Vandernat, who is from the Bureau of Economics at the Federal Trade Commission in Washington, D.C. Hmm. And this was published in 2014. Quote, this paper aims to analyze the evolution of direct selling tail channel that successfully sold products ranging from cosmetics to radios to automobiles to multi-level marketing, an industry now apparently heavily reliant on selling to itself. As the courts have found some MLM companies to be pyramid schemes, the analysis includes the overlap between the legal MLM model and an illegal pyramid scheme. And then the little finding section says, quote, as the MLM model operates on the dual premise of retailing through a network of distributors, and recruiting new distributors to do the same, it was found that the federal regulators and the courts consist consistently focus on the retail question, the existence and extent of sales to consumers external to the distributor network. The authors argue that without a significant external customer base, internal consumption by an ever-turning base of participants resembles neither employee purchases nor a buying club. So, I 
thought this was so interesting. So we're going to start our story back in the days of the itinerant peddlers. So itinerant, I had to look it up because I was like, what is that word? But it just means that these were salespeople who traveled great distances to sell mostly unbranded products. So back in the early 20th century is when direct selling kind of came into play. So I thought it was interesting that they used the word peddler. It kind of shows the history and where MLMs evolved from. So I looked up the exact definition on vocabulary.com and it says that a peddler is a specific type of salesperson, someone who travels from town to town selling their wares. A peddler is someone who sells things, but it's a very specific type of selling. Peddlers, also known as hawkers and pitchmen, travel from town to town, especially with a carnival or circus. Peddlers are also found on the street, selling many different things from jewelry to DVDs. There's a shady implication to this word since peddlers have included people selling snake oil and other worthless products. Instead of buying from a peddler, you're probably better off at a store. Hmm. So that was the direct quote definition. I thought that was really interesting. So in the early 20th century, when the direct selling model started to take over, instead of traveling far distances, the sales force typically sold door to door with regionally or nationally branded products. And this was a time when urban development was really on the rise. So it made selling door-to-door easier. Did you ever see that movie, Big Fish? Do you remember that? Oh, I did see it a really long time ago. It's old. (laughs) But he was a door-to-door salesman, and that's what it reminds me of. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) I remember loving the movie, but I don't remember what it was about at all. Yeah, it's a good movie. Tim Burton. Oh, yeah. Love Tim Burton. Okay, so um, because this was kind of a big time of development, there were so many new products that were being made. So within a short amount of time, all of these different things, I wrote down some examples of all the different products that were being sold by direct selling companies. There were brushes, groceries, radios, sewing machines, phonographs, musical instruments, vacuums, cosmetics, apparel, chinaware, cooking utensils, books, television, furniture, and automobiles. Oh, yeah, vacuums. That that sounds familiar. Oh, yeah. I think rainbow vacuums are still around. Oh, I just heard about those the other day. I think they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We have, like, a a family friend, I guess you would call them, who sells them. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but anyways, so in the beginning, door-to-door selling was mostly a way to sell extra inventory. Like companies looked at it as a, a short-term way to just get rid of extra product that they had. But this era turned it into a major competitor in the retail market. 
so you have all these peddlers who now have the title of direct sellers because they're the same people who were working the industry. The industry just took on a new, a new, um, like form, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the companies then trained the salespeople to be the experts on the product and educate the American housewife on all the new amazing consumer goods. So I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but I had to look it up. Um, it's called the Taylorism Scientific. It's a system of scientific management advocated by Fred W. Taylor. No, never heard of that. Okay, so in Taylor's view, the task of factory management was to determine the best way for the worker to do the job, to provide the proper tools and training, and to provide incentives for good performance. He broke each job down into its individual emotions, analyzed these to determine which were essential, and timed the workers with a stopwatch. With unnecessary motion eliminated, the worker, following a machine-like routine, became far more productive. So basically, this was just a, a scientific way to make your workers more productive so that your company can make more money. So that's what the direct selling companies used to educate their forces. So they would have a branch manager who trained all the direct sellers before they went out in the field. And because turnover was so high with the sellers, the direct, the branch managers had a full-time job because they were constantly having to train people. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I thought there were a few interesting facts. Um, From 1919 to 1929, the number of households with a washing machine increased threefold and vacuum cleaners more than fourfold. And radio ownership increased by a multiple of 400. Hmm. Isn't that yeah. wild? I mean, they, I've heard, I think I've heard something like that before. Like the vacuum or whatever, the um, door-to-door like really revolutionized getting these products into homes. Yeah. So w- when all of these, you know, homes were all of a sudden had electricity and there were all of these products that you could use to make your life easier and the door-to-door salesmen were how that happened so it says as early as 1913 direct selling companies were recruiting college kids for summer selling and a company called fuller brush recruited male teachers from african-american high schools to sell to the segregated segregated african-american african-american community which i thought was you know particularly gross yeah it's weird yeah And then, um, so now we get up to the 1930s, and because of the depression, it was tough for the industry, but the companies worked through it by adjusting their products, prices, and advertising strategies. Mm -hmm. So up until this point, women had been a minority in direct selling, but had been working mostly in the cosmetics direct selling industry. So Avon was also popular back then. So women had dominated the beauty market of direct selling but after world war ii the percentage of women in the industry steadily increased until they became the majority oh wow and i have a little story that i wanted to read that i thought was cool so this is a direct quote 
from the research paper, and it says, in the African-American market, women ownership started with Annie Turnbow Malone selling her hair treatments door-to-door as early as 1900. And Madam C.J. Walker was one of Malone's selling agents. She adopted a similar approach to selling hair treatments and cosmetics to African-American women, a market segment largely ignored by store retailers and manufacturers. And their agent operator earned commissions on product sales and recruited and trained others to do the same. And then those successful at recruiting received recognitions and compensation in the form of cash, prizes, diamonds, and low-cost mortgage. And then Walker became the first woman and first African-American millionaire in the USA. And both Walker and Malone used their agent network and wealth to promote social issues. So I thought that sounded kind of cool and sounded like a few badass women who might have, like, actually made a difference with their dress Yeah, there's actually a Netflix special about her on Netflix. Oh, that's Did so you see cool. it? No, I'll have to watch it. Oh, it's it. so good. There's so many good life lessons in there about life in general. It's just such a good, um, a good, like, feel good. Like so, a feel yeah, good. I mean, there's some, some sad parts, but there's so many different, like, uh, life situations and life advice that are, like, amazing. So I recommend it. I've been, I've been oh, watched so it. Cool. <laughs> it was really good. I, I wonder if it's, do you remember what it's called? Oh, I wonder what it was. If not, we can we can name it on another episode, or I'm sure someone will tweet us and tell us. Well, you can just look up her her. I'll just look up. Let me her see name. Look right now. Keep going, and I'll look okay, for it. Cool. Okay, for sure. Okay, so let's see. Okay, so. The 1930s was also when laws that defined the employee-employer relation came about. And as a result, this is when direct selling companies classified their salespeople as independent contractors. And since then, the degree of their independence and extent of responsibility to adhere to the company policies would become a future issue. So that's when the creation of the independent contractor was applied to direct selling. And also during the Depression, self-service was a retail solution that was meant to be a short-term solution, but it ended up becoming the new normal. And so retailers became a popular destination and the rise of discount retailing um, in order to maintain growth between the 1950s and 80s, direct selling came up with a new twist. And this is when the party plan was introduced because retail selling was getting really popular. So MLMs were like, or direct sellers were like, hey, we need to do something new. So this is when Tupperware parties and all of that came about because they needed to innovate. Mm, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay, the show is called Self Made, inspired by the life oh, of Madam cool. C.J. Walker. And uh, Tiffany Haddish is in it. She plays her daughter. And then, um, oh, cool. do you know who Octavia Spencer is? Yeah. Oh, she, I love her. She's great. But she plays um, Madam C.J. Walker. So, yeah. That's awesome. really good show. That's so cool. Really good acting, awesome. really I'm good costumes, that. like the whole, all of it is so good. Oh, I'm so excited. I knew the name, Madam C.J. Walker. Like, I definitely had heard of her, but I I think I might have heard, I might have heard of Self Made, now that you say the name. Yeah, it was like, it was advertised on their, like, front page. 
for a while. Um, it just came out in 2020, so it's this. It's from this year. There's only okay. there's not a lot of episodes. I want to say there's, I don't know, but it's like a short yeah, season. Yeah, super good. Cool. Okay, so now we're gonna get into the time period when direct selling turned into MLM as we know it today. So Neutralite, which was founded in 1934 as the California Vitamin Company, was the first company to adopt the current MLM model um, or the basis of what it would be in 1945. What this new model did was converted the fixed costs of paying for branch managers into variable costs because the burden of recruiting, training, and supervising new salespeople now fell on the backs of the salespeople. Mm. So this is when the new vocabulary of upline, downline, personal volume, and group volume were defined. Yeah, so this is when it starts to get sketchy. Exactly. So in the traditional model, the sales force would get commissions on their sales to outside customers, and the branch managers would receive bonuses from the company depending on their region's total sales. But now, with the MLM model, there are three ways to make income, from sales to customers, sales to other distributors, and company bonuses for recruitment. So this creates one of the big criticisms of MLMs is the inability to track these sources of income. And because there's strict qualifications in order to earn the bonuses from the company, most distributors don't earn them. Yeah. Checks yeah, out. Which, which is, yeah, what we have learned <laughs> from our previous episodes. So Neutralite grew quickly and got into trouble with the FDA because their salespeople were making false income claim or making false claims in order to sell the product. So in 1951, the FDA filed an injunction to have 15,000 salespeople stop making extravagant therapeutic claims, but Neutralite didn't respond with anything substantial. They said, yeah, sure, we're going to take care of it. But the problem kept happening. So... In 1957, I'm going to look up my highlight right here. In 1957, the FDA began an educational campaign against door-to-door selling of various food additives and vitamin preparations designed to counter a violent campaign designed to convince the American that he has some peculiar deficiency. So this is kind of exactly what we were talking about with your story, (laughs) Basically, the FDA is saying these door-to-door salespeople are trying to ruin you guys by telling you that you're not good enough and that you have some sort of deficiency and that their product is going to cure that deficiency. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So in 1959, these two Neutralite distributors, Jay Van Andel and Richard DeVos, they were tired of of dealing with all the legal problems with the company they with the company and they went off on their own and created the American Way Association or Amway. And Amway eventually bought Neutralife and became the biggest MLM in the world. Oh my gosh. Because the MLM model allowed for compensation derived from an endless chain of recruitment, the ability to turn this model into a pyramid scheme arose. So MLMs weren't founded to be illegal but because 
all of a sudden you could do shady shit and the people that had been working in direct selling and peddling stuff for generations now had the opportunity to scam everyone under the guise of legality. Yeah. You know? So it goes over the different definitions. So it says a pyramid scheme relies on recruitment to pay its participants. So you get people to sign up. Those sign-up fees pay the people above you and so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. A Ponzi scheme relies on voluntary investments to pay the investment returns of the early participants. So this is like the circle game that's been going around. Right. So there's not actually a product. It's just money that you put in. Yeah. You just put in however much money. And then after you get into the three rows deep or whatever, you get a bigger amount of money. And it's just a money transferring scam. So... Then it goes on to say product-based pyramid schemes rely on upfront fees and or high margin of products and services purchased by a base of ever-revolving distributors to fund the compensation paid to participants with sales to non-distributors playing a minor role. So that pretty much sounds like every company. Right, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, the difference between an MLM and a pyramid scheme is just, they have to be brought to court to be proved. You're innocent until proven guilty in the USA. Right. So just because these companies are operating doesn't make them legal. It just means that they haven't been found guilty of it yet. Or they have, and then they restructured or have a new name now or settle or settle and yeah pay everyone four dollars yeah okay so now we're into the 1980s and the 1990s and this is when the usa saw a rise in mlms with lots of new companies forming and a lot of these include ones that are popular today like herbalife advocare new skin melaleuca uh usana and as acn which acn is one that um donald trump promoted back in the 90s and my high school best friend, I lost her and her family to ACN. Oh, no. Yeah. So, sad times. So, while MLMs were growing and thriving in this time, traditional direct sale companies reported essentially six years of flat revenue in the 1980s. So, MLMs were growing and traditional direct sales companies were not doing well. Mm. And then in 1989, Amway, the largest MLM, indicated interest in buying Avon, which was the oldest and largest traditional direct selling company, which was telling how the tide had turned in the industry. And then two weeks after, Amway uh, rescinded their offer. So according to the DSA, by 1997, 72.4% of direct selling companies were MLM. So was Avon one of the 
so why uh, uh, Amway didn't so, buy them? So, so Amway wanted to buy them and then they rescinded the offer. I'm not sure if it was just like a power move to kind of say like, hey, we're an MLM and we have enough money to like buy you guys, but like, nah, never mind. And I didn't follow up yet to look and see like when Avon added the multi-level marketing plan because they were a traditional direct selling company mm. up until a certain point and when they adopted the MLM model. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So um, the research article goes on to de- detail more specific court cases, which would could have their own episode. Um, but one of the big questions raised is about internal consumption and how there's no numbers on whether or not MLM products end up in the hands of customers who are also not distributors. So that was one of the big takeaways. And then I think I have some more highlighted. So this is, um, from the end and the the conclusions of the research paper but it says studies of current and former distributors could lend understanding to the evident process of being first active then inactive and the low level of compliant behavior by victims of pyramid scheme fraud requires additional study unlike motivations associated with traditional direct selling the mlm industry continues to present a less understood and at times illegal business model Right. Yeah. So I thought that was super interesting history of everything. And it did talk about that 70% rule. And I wasn't going to include that at first, but the lawsuit, the lawsuit that created that rule is also in this research paper so that's why so that's when you were talking that there was a lot of things that came up that i was like huh so that's another thing is that 70 percent. that's where they get that from yep and when i was researching the um the company they kept saying like we have added this many more consumers or there's like they kept saying this ratio of like brand partner to consumer and they have like the five consumer rule and i think that's like what you were saying like you have to have a certain amount of consumers to buy the product and there's no way of really telling that unless you have the people right yeah it's so interesting and I always wonder too because I know there's direct selling without the MLM structure and how like because you know you think of like Kirby the vacuum that's on MLM right I don't but, know like there's I know like my brother was like a Kind of like a door-to-door salesman. He sold, uh, like, car lot, car. What is that? Where you wipe your windows? Like, the cleaning stuff. Like, when people are at the gas station and they're like, hey, can I show you this cool thing that'll help your headlights? Yeah, yeah. He kind of sold that. Like, let me wash your windows or whatever. Um, yeah. And. I don't think that's an MLM. No, that was just I mean, direct sales. Thing. Like, he got commission. Yeah, for He sure. didn't have to buy the product. It was just. Like he was hired by the company, he was an employee of them, and right, and got a commission. Yeah, he got paid hourly, I think, and then also sold their stuff. 
So I always yeah. wondered like where yeah. the line and how that came about and how Doris door salesman evolved into like Mary Kay women and pampered chef parties. So interesting. Yeah. So now we know. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have something to talk about? Um, anything like exciting or good going on in your life? Or okay. Well, today any good? I am, a, I'm now eight months pregnant. <laughs> Yay. I will have a baby any 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 day now. Well, hopefully not any day now, but like you know, any month coming yeah. to coming up here, it could happen. Yeah, but we, me and my mom, took my other two kids down a we rented a canoe, and we did you know the whole get outside, and they opened the state parks in Florida, um. And so we took a canoe and we canoed down. I don't know how long it was, but it took, we did it for like an hour and a half. So it was like 30, 30 minutes downstream and an hour back upstream, but wow. eight months pregnant and my mom is 62 years old and my two kids just canoeing our lives away, you know, trying to the, like Living, living, living your best life, life, soaking up the sun. Yeah, and we only ran into like a couple trees, and it was really fun. That's so funny. That's awesome. That sounds like <laughs> but a lot I fun. did run into one tree, and I was like, oh, because I was in the front. They're like the most. Yeah. They said the most experienced and sturdy paddler should go in the back. I'm like, okay, well, is it the grandma or the pregnant one? <laughs> Which one should we pick? And so she volunteered to go in the back, and we couldn't figure out like who's supposed to be steering and who's not. Apparently, you just paddle in unison and it goes straight, but that wasn't happening. But I hit a tree pretty yeah. hard. Sounds like something would take a lot of practice to get right. Yeah, but it was really good to get out and, like, you know, experience life again. Yeah. For sure. I love it. That's a good one. Yeah. What about you? Well, I've been having just, like, a lot of personal growth which has felt really nice I mean it's like hurt kind of a lot I've been like crying a lot but that that's not a bad thing I've just been kind of like processing it's mm. able to get the calm app which I've been wanting to get for a long time so I've been meditating which is super helpful for my anxiety and I, think I have that one I love it so much it's so calming yeah oh no I have a different one a different one but yeah, yeah I, I had like tested a few different meditation apps like a year ago and I liked Calm the best. And I was like, okay, now is the time that I need to get into this. And actually I'm what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to set my, my habits and get a good schedule going so that when I'm working on the podcast, I can work on the podcast and focus. And... Yeah, this all just kind of came about because I had like a bad couple weeks where I was like, my energy wasn't right. I was focusing on the wrong things and my anxiety was coming back and I was falling into some really bad like old patterns. And so I was like, okay, Emma, you could do this. You know how to meditate. Just start meditating in the morning and then like build off of that. So I also downloaded the Noom app and I signed up for Noom so I can focus on like my health goals as well because I found myself needing some more accountability in that area 
And hmm. I'm already really familiar with CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's what Noom uses to change your relationship with food so that it's a healthier relationship with food. And because I was falling into some old, like bad disordered eating patterns, I was like, okay, let's, let's hold myself accountable and sign up for some of these apps. And I've just been building my routine and it feels really good. Well, that's good. I definitely feel like more centered and that, you know, I'm, I'm back. (laughs) Back into business. I'm back. So, you know, and that can always change and I still have bad days and all that, but I feel like I'm headed in a good direction, which is a good feeling. Oh, and we have to de-ringworm our house, which is probably not a happy thing, I guess, but. (laughs) Oh, no. Is you the stray cats, you know, they get you every time. Yeah, it's like they look at you and they're like, I'm the cutest thing. You know you want me. I could have diseases, but like who knows? Maybe not. How's like the cat wrangling going? Did you get them all in the same room? Are we still trying it out? Um, well, the ringworm has presented a new obstacle in that endeavor so I guess everyone we have we have have it we haven't told everyone until now but yeah so we took him to the vet today and I guess he to test for ringworm they put him under like a fluorescent light and Mm -hmm. if they have it it'll be all neon Mm -hmm. and so the vet said that he was very very neon. He was lit up. He was fluorescent as can be. So, oh no. So it's like really bad case with flying colors. Well, yeah, apparently he has dog ringworm. The way she explained it was that cat ringworm, they're like different strains of fungus or whatever. And the cat ringworm one doesn't light up as much. So, I guess the strain he has is more often found on dogs and it's more vibrant. But um yeah, it the cats haven't been together, but we've been letting them share rooms. You know, like, we'll trade them out rooms and, like, let them explore different parts of the house. So now we're pretty sure our other two cats most likely have it because they have for sure been in contact with the spores that the yeah. other cat has probably been leaving all around. So now we have an appointment to take the other two cats in next week. <laughs> and then we're going to start disinfecting the house, I guess. <laughs> oh gosh yeah so that's my project you know things what yeah. what kills ringworm and from like your well like carpets oh, and stuff that's the one thing that they said is that carpets are the hardest you have to basically they recommended the animal that is infected in a room that's easy to clean like a bathroom mm-hmm And then you're supposed to vacuum the carpets every day and then steam clean them, like shampoo them or whatever, once the cats are treated. Mm. You know, it's, I don't know, like, I feel like it's going to have to be like a cycle of clean, clean, hope they're treated, clean again so they don't get reinfected, keep treating them. Because the pills they have to take for a month 
Wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how that all goes. <laughs> uh, how stressful. Thank yeah. you guys sanitize your house from coronavirus and ringworm and everything else. Right. Well, we've had an unfortunate history of annoying bugs and infections. Yeah. <laughs> like, this house has had... My my mom had a former roommate who brought in bed bugs. Oh no! Had to treat for that. Um, my significant other and I have had scabies together. Oh no! Do you remember when that I happened? I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Now we have ringworm. Jeez. We had we had fleas with our first cat, and I had to borax the entire house a little apartment that we had by myself because my significant other was out of town (laughs) so yeah (sighs) unfortunately I have practice yeah that's crazy yeah here we are upcoming next we're going to be releasing some shorter listener episodes I've been collecting all the listener emails and stories that you sent us in the dms and we have research coming in from gretchen on some oil companies that she put a lot of work into so i'm super excited to honor her story and share that and then um i just want to give a shout out to carol and send her some big hugs too this week send her some extra love so yeah that's about it. Okay. Cool. We'll see you guys next time. All right. Bye.